Some of you know I travel as an itinerant evangelist. In my 37th year now on the road. Do you know what itinerant means? Can't hold a job anywhere. <laughs> but when I'm home in between revival trips, I like to help my sweet wife Vicky with any responsibilities around the house. I remember one day I was home between trips and she was busy with laundry and vacuuming. And uh, some errands needed to be run around town. You know, those mundane errands that you just got to do to take care of, keep life going. Go to the post office, fill the car with gas, stop at the bank, go to the grocery store and pick up the dry cleaning. You know, stuff you got to do. It takes time. Well, I was running those kind of errands around town one day. And I remember sitting in a left turn lane, waiting for the green arrow. And as I waited for the light to change, I noticed the car in front of me was displaying a very large canary yellow bumper sticker. And in bold black print, got any idea what it said? It's all about me. As I sat there waiting for the light to change, I silently mused, Oh man, what type of goofy, conceited, arrogant, self-enamored individual would it take to put such a bumper sticker on the back of their car? Well, a couple weeks later, I was driving from Southern California over to Phoenix, going to preach in Scottsdale. And I was on Interstate 10 near Palm Springs in Indio, you know the neighborhood. And merging on a freeway in the lane just ahead of me was an old beat-up Chevy pickup. First thing I noticed was a big old yellow bumper sticker. Do you know what it said? It's all about me. A couple weeks after that, Vicky and I were at the mall. Walking down the corridor, looking into the windows of those repetitive dress shops. <laughs> and in one of those windows, I noticed a mannequin poised with substantial dignity, donning a very attractive pastel t-shirt. And stitched across the chest of that t-shirt, do you know what it said? It's all about me. Want to know what else? That mannequin was even wearing a matching ball cap. And stitched across the crown of that cap, you're way ahead of me, aren't you? What did it say? It's all about me. Well, I guess it's okay to chuckle for a second about a goofy slogan. But the bad news is that's the value system that has saturated a lot of our culture and society. But for the sanctified and the dedicated, for the consecrated and the committed, for the conscientious, serious disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, upon such a contemplation, there has to eventually erupt an internal yuck. With the conclusion, no way, man. It's not all about me. It's all about him. And that's the tone and the flavor of Paul's words to a little baby church. Bible scholars say that a turned-on, gung-ho, enthusiastic disciple of Paul from the days in Ephesus, a guy named Epaphras, bounced over to a Tri-City River area and planted a little baby church. Three small towns clustered along the river. You've heard of Laodicea. Maybe you've heard of Herapolis. There's a third little tiny town in that Tri-City River area called 
Colossae. And Bible scholars tell us it's highly probable that this fellow Epaphras was the main player that planted a brand new little baby church in Colossae. Had a good start, strong beginning. But after a while, some heresies encroached. Some false doctrines snuck in. And scholars say it's highly probable that Epaphras made a trip from Colossae over to Rome. And he found Paul during his time of captivity. Got some one-on-one consulting about what in the world do I do with this situation. They tell us Paul never visited that church in person. But one day the Holy Spirit moved on his heart. And he got paper and pen and he sat down at his table. And he scribbled out a few pages of encouragement. And that's what's preserved for us in our New Testaments, called the book of Colossians. This morning we look at chapter 1, beginning at verse 9, on through verse 12. First chapter, Colossians, ninth verse. For this reason, Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. He begins with the words, for this reason. I'm a curious Bible student. I wondered what reason does he refer to? To grasp the context, you have to back up to verse 1 and read forward. The reason herein referred to that Epaphras showed up, gave him a positive report about their strong beginning, for this reason... Since the day we heard about you, he says, we've not stopped praying for you. He tells us what he prayed for that little baby church. And it is immediately relevant and applicable to us here this morning. Asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I need to politely inquire among all of us this morning. Do you even have a clue what God's will is for your life? Right this very second, in God's mind and in his heart, Paul says it's a great idea of what your life would look like, what my life would look like, if fully harmonized, compliant, and cooperative with him and his divine strategy for our lives. It is absolutely arrogant and absurd to assume that any of us can devise a strategy or plan that would surpass that of God's will for our lives. Our best option between now and checkout time is to discover and accomplish God's will for us. And that's what Paul's praying for this little baby church. Ever since I heard about you, I haven't stopped praying for you. Asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Well, you may inquire, well, how do you know his will? Here's a promise for you. James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. Are you dead serious about knowing God's will for your life? Bible promises ask and he gives. He's not trying to frustrate you. He's not playing hide and seek. He's not trying to irritate you. 
I'm not trying to make you look like a fool. If you're absolutely dead serious on knowing and accomplishing God's will and plan and divine strategy for your life, the Bible promises you lack wisdom, ask God. And that's what Paul prayed for this little church. Ever since I heard about you, I haven't stopped praying for you. Asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. I looked at that word fill, and the first impression I had, a word picture could be a glass of tea filled to capacity. Or a cup of coffee filled to the brim. But I looked that up in those fat books that the smart boys write. And I found out a more accurate word picture would be soak or saturate. Take a sponge and submerse it in a sink of water. And hold it there for a minute. And you pull it up out of the water. And it's totally soaked, saturated, drenched, and dripping. That's the tone and flavor of that word filled. What's he saying here? Ever since I heard about you, I haven't stopped praying for you. Asking God to fill you like a soaked, saturated, dripping sponge. With a mental capacity to grasp his will. And the divine enablement to put it in drive and get going. Occasionally in Paul's literary habit, he sandwiches two synonyms side by side. And we have them here. Wisdom and understanding. At first look, they seem to be twins. But they're not. They're first cousins. The term translated wisdom means a mental capacity to grasp his will. The term understanding is an action term illustrated by move the shift lever from park into drive. And step on the gas and get going in a predetermined direction. Ever since I heard about you, haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom. A mental capacity to grasp his will. And understanding a divine enablement to put it in drive and step on a gas. To the point that you're living a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. I gotta ask you, are you current, pos- currently positioned in your relationship with God where you can truthfully say you're living a life worthy of the Lord? And you may say, well, what's that mean? And I have to respond, I'm not smart enough to have the whole answer. But at least part of the answer includes acknowledging who He is and what He's done. And realize that merits my total abandonment of my own selfish agenda. Where I discontinue living all about me and I live all about him. And the top priority of my heart is God. I don't know what you want. But whatever you want, that's what I want. No place I'm not willing to go. Nothing I'm not willing to do. No one I'm not willing to be. Nothing I'm not willing to give. Nothing I'm not willing to say. I belong to you 100% without competition or reservation. I want to live my life all about you and not all about me. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. It certainly includes acknowledging who he is. Who is he? Jesus Christ, God's son, second person of the blessed Trinity, co-creator with the father in eternity, born of the Virgin Mary. 33 years of sinless, perfect life, teaching and preaching and miracles, ending it all by going up on a hill outside the city limits of Jerusalem, laying down on the cross, being nailed to that execution device where he suffered and he bled and he died, paying the price on the cross with his shed blood so you and I could be saved, forgiven, and go to heaven. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. What's that mean? It certainly must include acknowledge who he is 
and what he's done and land on the appropriate, poignant, intelligent decision, it merits my total abandonment, my own selfish agenda. And I discontinue living all about me. And I choose to live all about him. To the point that you're living a life worthy of the Lord. And he says, and please him in every way. The punctuation after please him in every way is a colon. It's not a period. I remember from grammar school when you see a colon in a sentence that indicates there's a sequence of itemizations to follow. We have four of them. If I could extract for us here this morning four easily identifiable specific truths straight out of God's Word, when implemented in the fabric of your own personal character and life, would have a net positive effect of you living a life worthy of the Lord that would please Him in every way? Would you all be interested? Thank you, all three of you. (laughs) And we pray this, verse 10, in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. Well, what's that look like? Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And joyfully giving thanks to the Father. What's he saying? He says, be a fruitful Christian. So I need to politely inquire among us, are you fruitful? And you may bounce back the question, well, how do you be fruitful? Simply realize what Jesus was saying in that popular true vine discourse in John 15. Do you remember that? Jesus said, I am the vine and you the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done by my Father in heaven. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Fruitfulness is simply a natural byproduct of an abiding relationship with Him. The King James Bible uses the word abide in John 15. Other translations have a variety of synonyms. Live in, dwell in, stay in, remain in. It means let me be your daily residential address or your daily abode. When you go on vacation, sometimes you stay at a hotel. Yet I'll live there. That's just where you're staying for a couple days. Jesus is saying in John 15, don't be treating me like some hotel where you just show up and visit once in a while. Treat me like your daily residential address. And in that unbroken abiding relationship, fruitfulness is a natural and unavoidable byproduct. Living a fruitful life is not the result of our goal setting and our redoubling our efforts and individual straining. It's a natural result of being connected with Him. Jesus, the true vine. Bearing fruit in every good work. Next, growing in the knowledge of God. He said, be a fruitful Christian. Next, he says, be a growing Christian. Growing in the knowledge of God. So i got to ask you, how well do you know Him? And you might inquire, well, how do you get to know Him anyway? Spend time with Him. Same way you got to know your best friend. Just for a second, consider who is your best friend on earth right now. Mine's my sweet little wife, Vicki, married 46 years. Early married us in 69 up in Pasadena. But one time she and I were a total stranger. 
Your best friend on earth once was a total stranger. Sometime, somewhere, somehow, you met. You were introduced. You met for breakfast, went out to lunch, had pie and coffee, whatever. But right now, your best friend in this world was once a total stranger. How in the world did you get to know them? You spent time with them. Growing in the knowledge of God. How do you get to know Him? Same way. Spend time with Him. Start with this book every day. Can I ask you what priority do you give the reading of God's Word in your daily life? And if you would bounce back a silent rebuttal, forget it, preacher, you don't know me. I'm too busy. I don't got time to read God's Word every day. Whoa. Okay. But is there any chance that could be some lightweight, superficial, mediocre rationalization of misarranged priorities? We all have 24 hours every day and we choose what we're going to do with our time. You want to live a life worthy of the Lord? Are you serious about pleasing Him every way? Be a fruitful Christian. Be a growing Christian. Growing in the knowledge of God. You grow to know Him by spending time in His Word, public worship, networking with Christian friends, Christian music, Christian literature. Third thing he says here that helps us live a life worthy of the Lord, that pleases Him in every way. He says, be a strong Christian, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious vice, so that you may have great endurance and patience. There's another one of those times when Paul puts two synonyms side by side. They look to be twins, endurance and patience. They're not. They're first cousins. Endurance is a term applied to a divine enablement that gives us a coping ability to handle difficult external situations and circumstances. Endurance. Patience is a relational term. Remember Galatians 5, the list of the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, what? Patience. And why don't we just admit it? In all of our lives, there are difficult people. And they won't go away. What do we do about it? Typically complain. Paul says, you want to live a life worthy of the Lord. Are you serious about pleasing Him every way? Be a fruitful Christian. Be a growing Christian. Be a strong Christian. Exhibiting both endurance, coping ability with circumstances. And patience, coping ability with people. The fourth thing he says that contributes to pleasing him in every way is be a thankful Christian. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Why don't we just admit it? Our default reaction is to complain and feel sorry for ourselves. Have you ever caught yourself in a conversation where you tried to manipulate the direction of their talk? To where you might hopefully vacuum some sympathy out of your bored listener? Who's waiting for you to be quiet so they can tell you how bad they had it lately? Paul says, take the high road. Reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 5. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I wondered, how could that even be practical or realistic? What was he thinking when he wrote that? And the Lord directed my attention to Romans 8.28. We had it on the screen earlier. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, 
who've been called according to his purpose. That's just another way of saying you're living all about him and not all about you. And if that's the context of your current spiritual posture, that is quite literally practical and realistic to give thanks in all circumstances. Perhaps one of the most healthy things that someone could do here this morning before you leave is to pause and bow and say, God, I want to thank you for my current circumstance. I've been whining and complaining and feeling sorry for myself. But I know that you are causing all things to work together for my good. So I joyfully give thanks to you, Father. And he closes that sentence in Colossians 1 with these words. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. I was gripped by the term there translated qualified. Found out it was a financial term. Used in banking. Have you ever heard of a co-signer? Somebody who guarantees the debt of another? That's the real meaning of that term there, translated qualified. I graduated from East High School in Pueblo, Colorado, spring of 66. Late summer, I got on a Greyhound bus and headed out to Los Angeles. Got a ride from L.A. up to Pasadena, where I began my ministerial training at Pasadena College. Now, obviously, relocated here at San Diego, Point Loma Nazarene University. I needed a car. But I didn't have much money. And I had zero credit. Fall of 66, I was only 18. Save your brain, I'm 67. (laughs) I know what you were doing. But there was a caring layman in the church that had a soft spot in his heart for preacher boys. And he took me to the Whittier, on Whittier Boulevard, to the Nazarene Credit Union. And he sat me down at a desk, and he helped me fill out an application for a car loan. And after I completed that app, do you know what he did? He pulled out his pen and signed his name at the bottom of the page right next to mine. Guaranteed the debt. Then he took me back up to Pasadena, Colorado Boulevard. That's where we all watched the Rose Parade on New Year's Day. And there was a corner car lot. And man, did we ever find the cleanest 62 Pontiac Catalina, four-door hardtop, boring beige, 389 cubic inch, two-barrel, automatic on the column. But it was really clean, and it only had 62,000 miles on it. You know what? We drove that 62 Pontiac up Hill Street to the men's dorm and there's no way in the world I could qualify by myself but somebody who loved me and cared about me signed his name at the bottom of the page that's the exact same word that Paul put at the end of that sentence what's he saying here he said ever since I heard about you I haven't stopped praying for you asking God to fill you like a soaked dripping sponge with a mental capacity to grasp his will The divine enablement to put it in drive and step on the gas and get going in that direction. To the point that you're living a life worthy of the Lord, acknowledging who he is and what he's done, and focused on pleasing him every way. And it shows up in your daily behavior and personal character. You're bearing fruit in every good work and you're growing in the knowledge of God. You're being strengthened with all power. The power of the indwelling, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That produces endurance, coping ability with circumstances, and patience, coping ability with people. And you're not a whiner. You're joyfully giving thanks to the Father 
with a heartfelt reminder that he qualified you with his own shed blood on Calvary. i got to ask you, are you currently positioned in your relationship with God to where you can truthfully say you're living all about him? Or are you living all about you? It's one thing to confess and repent of your sins and be born again and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But it is something substantially beyond that to die to your own will and submit to Him and His plan and His purpose and merge with Him and the Holy Spirit into His divine strategy and live your remaining days all about Him. In a moment, we'll share an invitation song. I would like to offer each of you a cordial, respectful opportunity to spend time in prayer here at the altar. Or if kneeling's not practical or comfortable for you physically, you'd be welcome to be seated on the front row of chairs. And by forward movement, you're saying, the Lord has spoken to my heart, and I'm aware of a need, and Jesus and I need to have a talk. The truth is, you will never have a better time than now. Or a better place than here. A few minutes ago, we all prayed, Dear Lord Jesus, please speak to my heart this morning. Did you pray that? If you did, he heard it. And I believe he's answered that. Now it's our time to respond to his whisper. Please stand and bow your heads. And without any hassle or pressure, I'd just like to offer you a respectful opportunity. Do yourself a favor. Mind the Lord. You sense His presence. He's spoken to you. You have a need in your life. Things aren't right. It's time to pray. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Some of us need to scrape a bumper sticker off our lives and acknowledge you as Lord. I pray for my friends who have come forward. Would you meet them at their point of need? If they're like me, there's There's been something that has arisen in their lives that has made them aware that they need more of you. I pray that you would minister to us your grace today, your power. We've proven that we can't can't be good enough on our own. And we need for you today, from this point on, to make us strong in you, to live in your strength. And I pray that would be true for each one of us here today. Thank you once again, God. Ah, some of us are gripers. We need to learn a new language. 
the language of thanksgiving. Help us to begin that today. Might even have to apologize to someone that we haven't been very positive when we have every right to be in Christ Jesus. And so we just pray that you would you would be at work in our lives today as we encourage one another, pray with one another. Now go with us as we leave this place. We're going to be different people because of your grace. You never leave us like you find us. And we thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.